Anyway, we're in together. We're in together. Alright, new sermon series today. We are uh, going to go to a part of the Bible that was particularly meaningful to me personally at a really pivotal time in my life. I was 19 years old. I had been in a lot of trouble. And a mentor of mine, a man who, uh, who cared about me and loved me, he walked me through uh, this part of the Bible. And, and he, uh, we, we studied it together, we prayed through this together, and helped me, in a really pivotal time, grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And what it did for me was that it, uh, in my hope, what it will do for all of us as we look at it together, is reground us. To, to drive us right back to the core of who we are as children of God. And that we might be certain of our status as God's children. And for me, I was helping me deal with sin in my life. It was helping me to walk in truth. And so it's really, it's a personal joy to, to go back to these same texts and to share them together as a community here. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the letters of John in the New Testament. There's three of them. We call them First John, Second John, and Third John. They're way in the very back of your Bible. They're uh, very short letters. Second and Third John. We'll be able to uh, just one sermon each on those because they're very uh, brief texts. But there's some really great things, and I want to, uh, as we look at different parts of Scripture, to understand them so that you can use them in your own personal Bible reading and in your own study. These letters were written by John, of course. This is Jesus' disciples. He was one of the twelve. John had a very special relationship with Jesus. He was really part of Jesus' inner circle. They had a very warm and close relationship. These letters were written in, in about the 90s AD. That would make John a very old man when he wrote these words. And, but not, uh, not too old. He was still very sharp. He was uh, still not too old to fight vigorously uh, and to contend for the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, he wrote these letters to a group of Christians who he seemed to know pretty well. We think in or at least near uh, the city of Ephesus, which is, would be modern day uh, Western Turkey. And he wrote these letters to people that they might believe Jesus, that they might be sure and certain of the eternal life that they have in Jesus. He wrote it so that they might walk in light and in love. And he uh, wrote it so that they might be able to test that what they have is indeed true. And that they could test that what they were hearing from others was either true or false and be able to walk in the truth. And you can know the truth because Jesus is the truth. And it's important for us in a world where it seems like every message has some kind of spin to it, or there's fake news, or all these wild promises from advertisers, and it's, it can be so hard when we hear half-truths, and we're not sure uh, what the intent of a message is, and to know if it's true or not, and it can be very confusing, but there are things that we can be so uh, just dead certain about. And we need that. And we need to cling to that and operate from a place of truth. And that's, that's the hope for us today. Let's pray as we approach God's word. Father God, as Jesus said, that we will know the truth and that truth will set us free. And I pray this morning as we turn to your word that you would 
teach us your truth, that you would be our teacher, and that we would live in all the freedom and all the confidence of knowing what is true and what is right. So Lord, we give this time to you. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Today, this passage that Gabby read for us, is, it's, a, it's a warning. It's, it's a word of warning to watch out for lies. There's lies out there. You need to walk in the truth and you need to avoid the lies. And so I want to look at two things today. What was the lie that was being told? And how would we go about avoiding that kind of lie that the readers of this letter would have understood and that uh, perhaps the same lie exists in our world today and how we might avoid it as well. Before we jump into that, uh, a word about the truth. And there's really two ways of understanding truth that people operate from in the world today. Uh, there's a sort of a, a new understanding of truth that um, is truth is something that you yourself shape or define. So someone may say, well, you believe this or that about God, and I believe this or that about God, and we both have a truth. So truth is something in that way of thinking that every person needs to shape for himself or herself, and that's just, you have yours and I have mine. That's a kind of a new way of looking at truth and reality. The traditional understanding of truth is that truth exists whether you believe it or not. That if, if there is a God or if there is not a God, one of those is true, and you just better be sure that you are on the right side. Which will you choose? And it's that that truth shapes you. It shapes your reality. It shapes, it shapes you eternity. The, the reality shapes your eternity. Uh, so is truth something that we shape, or is truth something that shapes us? And of course we believe that there is truth, and that it's possible to know the truth. And that the truth does shape us. You can believe, you can walk through that wall over there, but you can you go ahead and try to do that. That truth is going to shape you. It's going to shape your face when you walk into it. There's just reality. You can't get away from it. You get my point. But we live in a world that doesn't necessarily believe that or hold to that. And we're people who say, I know God. I know that I'm a child of God. I I'm, I'm, I know that I am saved, and people will look at us and say, well, arrogant. you got this whole thing figured out. You know better than me. You are pretty, uh, you're pretty special. With all respect to that person, I disagree. If you ask me if I'm married, I'll say, yes, I'm married. I know that I'm married. You wouldn't then say, well, that's kind of arrogant. Walking around thinking you're all married. <laughs> no, I have a piece of paper issued by the state of New Hampshire that declares that I am married. I have a certificate. I can show it to you. It has the authority of the state behind it. Not only that, but that certificate points to an event in human history that I was there, and there were many witnesses there, in a big celebration that an event in human history on June 2nd, 2001, had a book. <laughs> that actually happened, and people witnessed it. And beyond that, I got the piece of paper, I have this event in human history, I've got 
have 17 years of experience that tells me that I am absolutely married. I know it. And what God has done for us is the same thing. He has given us the right. He has given us the right to be His children. His word declares it. And it's on His authority. Not only that, but His word points to an event in human history. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That it happened. And there were many witnesses. And not only do I have His word, and not only was there an event in human history, but I have we have the experience of God's Holy Spirit in us to confirm that we are experiencing God. So it's not arrogant with all of these things to say, yes, I have confidence, and yes, I know. If you believe you're a Christian, you believe you know God, it's because He's provided all those things for you to feel that way and to know it's true. It's not arrogant, and it's and not only that, I didn't he didn't give it to me because I'm hot stuff. He gave it to me because of His grace. Ephesians 2, it's, it's only by His grace that you're saved. So nobody can boast about knowing this. We only humbly say, by the grace of God, I am who I am. That's the truth. Now, what is the lie? John is writing to this church. He's warning them. Um, he's, he's speaking about these liars. So take a look at your text. It's printed on the back of your bulletin. <coughs> Verse 19, the liars, uh, says they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So this is a group of people that because of their beliefs and because of their teaching, they separated themselves from the fellowship and separated themselves from the leadership of this local church. And John's saying, we know that they're liars because they don't belong with us. If they were with the truth, they'd be with us. Now, there is no perfect church. There is no church that gets every single little detail right that I know of. But there are core truths that we share as followers of Jesus Christ, that we share with, with churches, again, around the world. And this group of people, there was a core belief that they did not grasp. And because they didn't you know, there's, there's secondary issues and there's less important things, but there are aspects of our faith and our belief that are so important and so core that if we do not believe them, we are no longer followers of Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying, this is, this is the group of people. They, if, if they were, they'd still be with us. If they were, they are absolutely not. And John calls them antichrists. Strong language. It's, it's that which is against Christ or in opposition to Christ. And again, this verse, this isn't an end times prophecy. That's not the point of this passage. But it, that first verse, uh, the, this is the last hour. You've heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And since the time of Jesus, we live in the, the, the we live in the end times, and it will be ultimately fulfilled, and there will be a great deceiver who is to come and be in opposition to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, we're living in that time, and that which is opposed to Jesus, there's different expressions of that, and this is one of them. And we live in, you know, people always ask me, do you think we're living in the end times? I say, yeah, of course we are. We, we have been since, since Jesus... Uh, left this earth and he gave us his spirit and he's going to come back and fulfill everything. We're in it. Uh, but 
When is it going to happen? We don't know. And we're waiting for it. And, and we, uh, we celebrate that Jesus will come and we will know his kingdom in all its fullness. But God's not slow, Peter writes in his letter. He's not slow. God is just at his work, extending his kingdom. People are being saved. And this is what God is doing. And we live in that time. So that the, the point of this is that these expressions of this, this teaching that is against Jesus is already in the world and it will, it, it's going to get worse. So what's the core of the lie? What is the actual teaching here? Verse 22. Very specifically. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. So the point here is that they were denying the Son. They were denying that Jesus essentially was fully God. That we believe as followers of Jesus that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And there was a group of teachers and we've lumped them into a category of, of teaching at this time in history. They were the called the Gnostics. And the Gnostic philosophy was that you know the, the, the physical world is bad and human flesh is is bad, and therefore God wouldn't or could not fully take on human flesh. That maybe God put a divine thing on Jesus at a certain time in his ministry, but he was not fully God in the flesh. That God couldn't suffer and die. But the tr- that's the lie. The truth is that Jesus did come in human flesh, fully God, fully man. And this group is breaking off from that belief. And, and there are groups today that, that teach these same things, that Jesus is not fully God. There are groups like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they say Jesus is not fully God. Now, we, they, they're very good people. Some of you are raised in those traditions. You have family members, people you love in those traditions. And we, we love those people. But we believe something different about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was fully God and his truth do not. Uh, in congregational churches like ours, there was many churches drifted towards what's called Unitarianism. And there's Unitarian churches today. Again, wonderful neighbors of ours doing good work in our communities beautiful community, but they do not teach that Jesus was God. There's other churches that call themselves Christian churches that say, uh, you know, Jesus was a good teacher and he, is, he had the greatest wisdom and we follow his way of love and we follow his way of wisdom. But they they say, you know, that, that he was God in the flesh and the whole divine thing and all the miracles. We don't really need that. As Christians, we can just follow his teaching. The problem with it is that it's just, it, that is not Christianity. Because Christianity isn't that I need a teaching or a way of life. Christianity is, I need a savior. I need to be saved from my sin. I need God, who I, who I am broken from God in my sin. I need God to reach to me, to reconcile me to him, that's what it, it's. I need a savior. So denying that Jesus is God, or denying that Jesus is the Christ, or that Jesus is the Son, these different ways of expressing it. Denying Jesus is the Christ denies the good news. It denies the gospel. 
The gospel is this, that we are so dead and so lost in our sin that no good thing you do, no religious act you do, no love of your neighbor that you do can ever reach all the way to heaven to get you back to God. And that you are lost. And that God had to reach from heaven. He had to come from heaven to earth to save us. We can't reach him. He came to us. That's why it's important that God came in the flesh. It's it's central. And that's why the language is really strong here. You know, John doesn't say, you know, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And they don't believe that Jesus was, you know, know, fully God. And, you know, so that's too bad. That's their opinion. It's not just an opinion that I don't agree with. He says, they don't believe Jesus is is the Christ. They are living a lie. This strong language. When we deny things that are core, that, that we live in a moral universe, that God exists, that when you deny things that are true at the very core, it is a lie. You are living a lie, and people who perpetuate this, he says, are liars. And it's a big, but here's the effect of it, verse 23, if you believe this lie. Uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. His point is you can't have God without Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you deny God the Father. For they are one. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And there is no other name by which we can be saved but Jesus. There is no other way. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. We cannot deny Jesus and have God the Father. Jesus had to be God. If, give me an example. Say I'm hiking, I'm out west, I'm hiking through the woods with uh, my family and some friends, and we walk, accidentally walk in between a grizzly bear and her cub. And she's angry, and she's charging at us, and and she's she's gonna kill. And everybody doesn't know what to do, but I take my son Calvin, and I throw him to the bear so that we all escape. <laughs> now that's gruesome. But that's the picture that's painted if Jesus is not God. If, if Jesus is not equal with God. What you do then is you make God into a very cruel being who created this Jesus uh, just to suffer because he was unwilling to do so. If, however, as we believe that Jesus is God, then God himself stood in the path. That that God himself took the pain and the death of our sin. That that God himself was pinned to the cross personally to bring us his salvation. That's a very different God. For us today, what does this look like? Again, there are groups that historically and specifically deny that Jesus was God. But also, anyone who speaks of God without acknowledging Jesus is is in this same place. So you might be at work, and you're living out your faith in your everyday, as we've been talking about, and you have a coworker who's really into God and really into spirituality, but does not acknowledge Jesus. You know, that's that's great that they are spiritual, that's great that they are into this idea of God. 
but they are not living in the truth apart from Jesus. Many people see God as eternal beauty, or the cosmic oneness, cosmic energy, the absolute oneness of all things. That is God, and I'm experiencing it, as people might say. But we see something different. We see Jesus. And because of, because of Jesus, we see God in the human flesh born in a stable. Because of Jesus' ministry, we, we see that God suffers and sacrifices himself for you and for me. We see in Jesus God's ministry, his kingdom being proclaimed, and the religious elite people totally miss it out, and who embraces it? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. Jesus said they're entering this kingdom ahead of the elite and the really smart people because they understand that I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He, Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And then you know God's kingdom. And you know the truth. There's no other way. There's no other name. So for us, as we, as we go from here, we need to hold out the name of Jesus. We need to speak the name of Jesus. When we pray for people, we don't pray for the one who we call by many names. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. We believe in Jesus. Not some ambiguous God. It's Jesus. He was uh, who He said He was, and He accomplished what we need on us. How do we avoid the lie falling into this this lie, um, verse 24. As for you, see that what you've learned from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what He promised us, eternal life. It's what you've heard from the beginning, what the apostles taught, what we have in Scripture, the apostles' teaching, we hold to that. So we, it, it's objective truth. It doesn't change. And we just... And the great benefit is that as we put our faith in this, we receive eternal life, not just one in the future, but we can experience God's kingdom here and now. Later in the letter, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So we treasure God's word. We let it form us and shape us. We gather together and study it together. If you do not have a small group, if you do not have friends, if you are searching these words and reminding yourself of Please uh, talk to Roselle, talk to me. We'll get you with people who can uh, treasure God's word together, study together, and learn and grow in the truth. So we have his word, but also we have his spirit in verse 20. It says, You have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have the anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And then down in verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as he is, as he is anointed, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he taught you, remain in him. This is more subjective, but it is nonetheless true, that we have God's word, and we have his spirit, and the spirit grabs us, and it, it unsettles us, and you hear different things, but something about God's truth by his spirit, it pulls us out or of who we are, to show us that it's true. It's the kind of thing that you feel it, and you may want to run from it, but you know you can't. It's God's Word, and it's God's Spirit. Both are important. It's easy to, to fall on one side or the other, you know, on one side, to 
Bible, 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 but no experience of God. And the other side is, God told me this, God told me that. All kinds of weird ideas that do not conform to His Word. They confirm each other. That God, by His Spirit, confirms what His Word says. That's how we avoid the lie. Then we know the truth. We operate from the place of truth. Jesus came. He suffered that you may might have life in Him. You might have eternal life. And you're going to leave this place and you're going to go into here every day and you're going to, you're going to see things that you're not sure if they're real or they're true or you're going to hear news or you're going to see these things. What, whatever confusion you face, you take Him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, with you. Whatever you face, that's right. Father God, we thank you that you are true. We thank you that you have revealed yourself, that we can be confident in that. Lord, I pray that we would operate from a place of knowing that we are so loved and so accepted by you, Lord. Whatever struggles we face, whatever temptation we face, Lord, that you are our guide. Help us to know and love your word and appreciate it more and more every day. Help us to experience the power of your Holy Spirit, the comfort of your Spirit. Lord, I pray for any in this room who have not fully embraced what Jesus Christ has done. Father, I pray that even now your Spirit would just be pulling at their side. That they might pray. That they might pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I now believe because your spirit is teaching it to me. I believe because your word has declared it that I am a sinner, but I can be saved by your grace because of what Jesus has accomplished. I pray that you forgive me. I pray that your spirit would work in me to change me to human, give me new life, eternal life in you. And I thank you that you are so good and so loving. We pray all in Jesus' name.